0: Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Dr. Mark Harper, who is the author of the book, Chill, The Cold Water Swim Cure. It's a science-based approach for transforming ailments of both body and mind through cold water swimming. I really enjoyed this episode and learned so much about not just cold water swimming, but in the myriad of benefits. And then also how Dr. Mark Harper in his own life as a husband and father of three children handles, uh, feeling overwhelmed, feeling under pressure. How does he handle that on a day to day basis? Uh, I, I think at, by the end of this episode, I've also become a fan of 70s disco music as I was rocking out to it um, early on as a result of his recommendation. Uh, and Dr. Mark Harper also shares with us his brother a few years ago uh, ended his life. And and so Dr. Mark Harper shares with us what he felt were some of the contributing factors. Uh, this was a very poignant and uh, powerful episode and if you find value in anything or if you learn anything from this episode please share it Um, as many of you have I've seen it uh, the downloads are growing the community is growing and also feel free to reach out to me I'm receiving more and more emails from you the listeners and I love to read them and hear your stories with that said let's jump into the
1: episode so, are you in Brighton right now, or where in the world are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm in Brighton right now. I, I sort of uh, work about half the year in Norway and half the year in the UK. And uh, right now, I'm in Brighton. And I wait. I did go for a swim this morning.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, beautiful! You know, I, I I love your book. I'm I'm sold on the idea of a cold water swim um, because there's. I feel like um, cold therapy is become kind of a trend now, but your book has um, really highlighted for me the, um, the, 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 the long-lasting impacts of a cold water swim because, you know, people are talking about doing a, a cold water plunge. They're talking about the cryotherapy, the cold shower, but it seems like a cold water swim encapsulates all the things that we require for our mental health and, and not just uh, on a chemical level of the releasing of endorphins and reducing of inflammation.
1: Uh, that That is exactly my take on it. You know, we, we need a toolbox of things to help us. And this is a beautifully constructed toolbox. and It's pretty full of tools which are actually useful. Uh, so I, I want to start off because, you know, as I,
0: I read the PDF, thank you uh, to your to your team, I could tell that you and your team have a very close relationship. I could just tell from the emails and the back and forth so that's also always a beautiful thing to note but on page three you talked about in the 1980s when you were a lifeguard how uh people really didn't swim back in the day so you you as a lifeguard you didn't really have to save any lives why didn't people swim back in the day i know that's that's a random question to start with but i was
1: just curious as to why didn't people really get in the water well, I think think this is something that's come about historically. You can see it as a bigger, a bigger thing, really. You know, what you had back in the 18th century was when cold water therapy was like really big in Brighton, yeah, where I'm, where I live now. Cold water was a really big thing, and it it ran right up until the early 20th century, and this was before the pharmaceutical age, you know, and pharmaceuticals came along and you know they're fantastic I certainly couldn't do my job as an anaesthetist without them you know that's a that's a given but it it kind of went out of fashion at the same time it's it's kind of a, a whole social movement because when we started getting swimming pools we started getting indoor swimming pools and so people thought let's go and do indoor swimming and that kind of outdoor stuff began to get a bit forgotten and to me, it's a, a bigger thing. And that's what it was in the 80s. It just, people just didn't get out in the water as much. You know, they, were, they, were, they go to the swimming pools, which are full, but they wouldn't get in the water. And it's, it's all this I scientific age. It's, it, obviously, that's not scientific. But it, to me, no. it feels part of the same movement.
0: It, it, it makes so much sense. It's so funny because now that because of the pandemic, um, more people have bought swimming pools or built swimming pools in their backyard and now there's a chlorine shortage, and there's also a lifeguard uh, shortage right now. So I think people will be back out there in the oceans pretty soon.
1: Yeah, I certainly hope so. It's, uh, for me, it's a, it's a balance. If I still swim in the pool. You know, I used to always swim in the pool. That's, my, that's how I get my fitness, is swimming in the pool. But you know, swimming in the ocean is something altogether different.
0: So is that something that you've always gravitated towards was swimming out in the ocean or did you start off playing some other sports and, or was this something passed down, uh, you know, from your family?
1: No, Joe, I, even when I was working as a beach, yeah, I spent several summers working on the beach as a lifeguard and I just didn't, didn't swim in the sea. Yeah. I might go once or twice in the summer, but I just didn't go in. You know, I kept swimming in the pool all the time and Yeah, it just just wasn't a thing. I mean, and the reason actually it came round to me swimming in the sea was kind of coincidence. I sort of went away to London, did all my medical training, all my anesthesiology training, moved back to Brighton as a consultant. So, yeah, it's an attending, I think that is. And I was complaining to one of the guys I, I knew from my childhood that, you know, the swimming pool had shut for two weeks in the middle of summer. And he said, oh, go and join the sea swimmers that at your club's got a sea swimming group. Uh, well, when do they swim? Seven o'clock. Well, no, but when? Oh, all year round, really? Yeah, I was as shocked as anyone else. And so I, the sea thing, was merely about two weeks when the swimming pool was shut in the middle of summer, just get my my fix, as it were. But that first time. I've walked out of the beach after my uh, probably mile long swim. Nothing, nothing too far, nothing too hard. Just walked out of the beach thinking, God, this feels good. And then I just kept swimming. You know, it was that two weeks as nearly 20 years now. And and the, all this research in the book, <laughs> uh, in addition. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh...
0: There is something, the, the power I found in swimming in the ocean water, and, and you talk about this in your book, is that there's also the collective spirit of it. There's the, the, the collaboration. You're swimming with others. You know, when I, did, when I did my cold shower this morning, it was just me. Um, and, and, and so there's not that, like, sense of we did a thing. It was just like, okay, that's over and so the the effects of it uh don't last as long as if uh, as you mentioned in a book like you, you you get out the, the swim uh out the ocean and then you might go grab tea or coffee or something you know with your swimming pals and so the 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 endorphins the connection the oxytocin all those things continue uh way past the swim, so it's not just about swimming itself
1: yeah. That- that's right. And what you're getting with a cold shower is one of those tools in the toolbox. It's a really good tool, but it's just one of those tools. What you're getting when you're out by the ocean is is all those tools. It is exactly as you say, it's that sense of community and yeah, you know, we know reducing social isolation is such a great thing and yeah, that's what yeah, it's a massive thing in what you're all about and what your podcast is all about. It's such an important factor in that. But it's also being out in nature it's the challenge of the waves, you know, that that refocuses you. It's, I mean, it, and it's exercise, and exercise, fantastic medicine, you know. Uh, so that's, that's what it is. It's, it's all those things that you get, and you just get one of those things with a cold shower. I mean, it's interesting, you know, a cold shower has been shown. There's one study which showed people who took a cold shower took less sick days than their colleagues who didn't. So, you know, it has an effect but it's not that big, whole, rounded effect.
0: You know, I, as you're talking, it, it makes me think about all the ways in which we're tracking ourselves. Fitbits, Whoops, uh, the iPhone. And I, I think because we're becoming so much more of a numbers-driven society that the one thing that, you know, our iPhone and, and Whoop and the Fitbit and those things don't track is our social connections. And, and those are the things that keep us coming back to the workouts that, you know, I, I personal train and uh, my clients have been with me for 10 or, or even longer years and they keep coming back because of the relationship, because of the connection. So I think part of it is we get so caught up in the numbers of things that we think, okay, how many laps am I going to swim in a pool? And we we forget about that. There's more to movement and exercise and our well-being than just the numbers on our watch or cell phone.
1: Yeah, that's a really good insight. I hadn't thought of it in those terms before. And what you're getting really is when you're swimming up and down the pool, which I love doing. You're swimming up and down the pool. You're doing your uh, crunches. You're doing all that. That's digital. What you're getting when you go out in the ocean, that's analog. Uh, I've got a massive LP collection. <laughs> uh, I love that yeah because earlier you
0: mentioned you know the challenge of the waves and in the book you you quote um Bruce Lee in terms of you know be like water and as I was in my therapy uh, I, I do like a, a, a telehealth uh, therapy and, and as I was talking to my therapist I, I realized that for me being like water means ebbing and flowing so I love having moments of movement, whether, you know, like swimming or hiking. And then I love having moment, moments of where, like, I'm sitting and reading or writing. And I need to ebb and flow through my day like that. I can't have a day where it's too much sitting or too much movement. I need kind of that, that back and forth. How do you... Uh, structure your day after your swim I mean do you, do you find ways to remain active or do you sit and write or what what, what do you do post swim
1: well immediately post swim I get dry and get warm but no then I I, I, I usually cycle to the like, a local coffee place my coffee store is a fabulous place so friendly and there's there's a connection there and there's talking about there's this concept of uh I can't remember the actual term but you know small connections and this is what we've lost through the pandemic you know I go in I meet Baha who serves the coffee every day or her team and it's just you know there's something really nice about that it's not people I know really well but then we all join up from the swimming club we sit down we have coffee and so that's kind of a kind of a bit of an ebb then I flow off to work and And then it's work and, yeah, most of the time it's to work to the operating theater. And that's pretty, pretty flow all day until I get home. And actually, one of the things I love doing, I just, I got back i of it working today, got back late-ish. The first thing I did once I unpacked was lie down on the sofa and do six minutes breathing.
0: I, I definitely want to come back into that, to that the six minutes of breathing and what that looks like. Um, but you you mentioned small talk, and I, I want to highlight that, or small connections. And I want to highlight that because a lot of the research on on suicidality shows that, you know, as we know, like men are 75% of the suicides. And, um, but research also shows that we are less likely to have what are called lateral connections. So a lot of our connections are hierarchical, like either... Uh, our boss or our subordinates, Um, but women have more lateral connections, meaning they're more connected to their personal trainer, to the person at the coffee shop, to their hairdresser, you know, these people who uh, are, you know, to the cashier, and we need those lateral connections to kind of fuel and feed us and nourish us through the day, Um, besides just having those hierarchical connection so I'm so glad that you brought up the importance of having those small connections those lateral connections
1: yeah and I think that's where a something like a sea swimming club comes into it because these are guys you know actually there are quite a lot of people in healthcare but you know there are other guys as an artist I work someone who used to be a deep sea diver you know I've got all these Really interesting collection of people that I sit down chat to every day, who I might never otherwise meet, and it's very much, as you say, a lateral connection I've got there. Uh, and and so you know, I'm from Chicago,
0: uh, Mark, and you know, so there's Lake Michigan right there. There, um, you know, some people have more access to the sea. Some people have more access to the oceans. I've been places where the the water doesn't get as cold like in a lot of caribbean places where it's uh it's very warm do, do you feel like people would get the same benefit from swimming in those warmer waters or should they seek out colder waters to receive the benefits uh you talk about in the book
1: i think that the i don't know i've never been to the caribbean i'd love to go but i'm guessing that the water's sort of more 28 30 so what's that uh that's what 80 85 fahrenheit right absolutely yeah so you'll get some benefit from it but what the if you look at the physiology at at 20 degrees so that's about 68 fahrenheit you start really seeing a big physiological effect on the body so it's not that cold it is if you live in the caribbean but it's you know it's not that cold and below 20 you get an increasing effect and if you look at how you adapt to cold water the maximum adaptation actually comes around between 10 and 15 degrees centigrade so for me the ideal thing is like 15 16 17 because I'm still getting the buzz but I can I can be in there as long as I want but then you know it gets down to you know in Norway where I live half the year it gets down to zero or 32 or whatever so you know it's it's super cold but you don't need it I, and, and this is something i really like to emphasize about this outdoor swimming is it doesn't have to be too cold it doesn't have to be too long and it doesn't have to be too often you know once a week it's enough you get more if you do but you know you get the most of the benefit below 20 68 know, yeah, once a week and three minutes
0: You know what? And I know for the listeners out there who are like cold water, no way. But, you know, on page 40, you talk about how swimming in cold water outdoors um, is a reminder that we are alive. And I, I completely understand it because one, as you mentioned, the challenge of the waves two, you have the social connection of swimming with others. Three, there's also the fear of what's in the water right because when 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 you have to be aware aware and mindful of one you're breathing two of uh, the environment around you and three you're really not in your head you're more in your body it's i could see this i could see how this really could work for people who struggle with addiction because a lot of times when we're reaching for our drug foods um or or or, or drug of choice It's because we don't feel alive. We feel dead inside. And swimming in cold water uh, out out in the ocean or the sea or or where have you uh, will definitely make you feel present, grounded, and alive.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And if you think about it, the chemicals that are released in the body when you go into the water, the adrenaline, the noradrenaline, you probably get a bit of dopamine and stuff like this going on. That's what you get with cocaine. And in fact, uh, yeah, the the television presenter I did, uh, did the programme, the doctor who gave up drugs with, he, yeah, it was his first time as well. And you know, we took this uh, girl out, Sarah, who who needed it for her mental health. But anyway, Chris, who didn't need it, he said to me after, uh, after we said, God, if this was a drug, they'd make it illegal. But the thing is, your body is in control and your body has these mechanisms that, self-regulate and so yeah you're giving yourself this massive buzz of all this neuroadrenaline and adrenaline but the body can cope with it because it's within its own parameters it's only what the body is releasing so i think that's a really important factor and in terms of treating addiction it's interesting you should say that so recently i've got a friend who runs seashore which is one of the charities i work with providing courses for people and he's, he's actually a counsellor as well. That's his, his main job. But he's got a friend who was addicted to crystal meth and has been trying to come off it. And, you know, he's come off it but been struggling a bit. But Sam took him in the sea and he said, God, this is just what I need. So it's a case series of one. And, you know, the guy is still doing it a few weeks later. You know, and he's... Finding it really helpful. Case series of one, it's not proof, but it shows that there's potential.
0: Well, what I really enjoyed about your book is that you have a bunch of cases and scenarios and stories of, you know, there's a person who was struggling with uh, bipolar disorder. Uh, and then you had that Royal Marine in the British uh, military, Sam Murray, who was struggling with PTSD, who had a suicide attempt, and how cold water uh, swimming help to, to get him reconnected can you share more about his story or any of those stories
1: uh, well I think the so Solve so she's the one who who uh, struggled with bipolar she's a, a Norwegian friend of mine and you know her story you know, I know her well her story is a really long one and you know she was normal yeah, she's a uh, yeah she's you know, she was going through life. She was life and party, really into acting, things like this. And then just one day, something must have flipped because you know she just kind of kind of went crazy on on the stage of a of a production. And from then on, it was just up and down the whole time. And you know she had a low point where she tried to commit suicide. Yeah, you know, it was just too bad these these swings that she had. And eventually, they got it under control with the medication i mean she's there's a really sad story in there as well in that a few years ago she said to me you know i've got these this problem this uh, change in my you know my gut i feel really bad and uh, this that and the other i said "Jo, you really need to go and get that sorted out of it's not my not my area of expertise in any ways but you know the red flags there going to get it sorted out but I think a doctor didn't listen to her because oh it's just she's mad you know that kind of thing turned out it was bowel cancer and she happily she came through it but she had to have a lot more and a lot more intense treatment as a consequence but anyway after that since then maybe two three years ago she started swimming with a friend in cold water just going out go for a walk go into the cold water and yes she still takes her her tablets but you know she's in control now and you know it just makes such a difference to her day and her life that she can engage with life so much more
0: yeah i definitely feel much more engaged after uh, you know i do go to the pool but even just swimming in the pool i i feel engaged and present so i can't imagine what uh Uh, uh, you know, swimming out in the sea. I remember my friends and I were in Egypt, actually, and I swam in, I think it's the Red Sea or the Black Sea. Um, I think it's the Red Sea. The Red Sea. And, you know, I'm not a great swimmer, which is why I don't swim, um, you know, out in the open like that. But there in the sea, it was so calm, and there's so much salt in there. So I was so buoyant, you know, I was able to swim further than I ever imagined. I could, uh, and, and I think about that moment to this day. Uh, have, you, have you swam in the Red Sea or, uh, or the Black Sea?
1: Uh, I have, I have swam there. I have been to Egypt and swam there. and Yeah, it's great. I, mean, I just love swimming wherever I go. I have a, a little pack. I have a, a microfiber towel that I can pack right down, and a pair of goggles and maybe a hat, so I can just get in and swim wherever. Uh, it's just such a great experience whatever, So, for wherever you, you are
0: is it the first thing you do in the morning or do you, do you have something to eat first or what, what's, what would you eat before or after?
1: Well, for me, yeah, it's the first thing I do in the morning. Yeah. You know, I get up, yeah, you know, cycle down to the sea and go, I mean, yeah, it's been very lucky living by the sea, the place where we all meet. So our swimming club is, it has a, has a sort of a home there and we all meet up and it's halfway on my way to work. So that's what really works for me is going down first thing, don't eat or drink anything before, then go off and as I say, have coffee afterwards with all, all my mates. But yeah, you know, I do notice it for some people, if you're starting out, I actually think it might be easier to do it a bit later in the day. You know, I love that thing. I've I'm set up for the whole day when I've had had my swim. But later in the day, it's actually easier. I find even if I go in at nine, 10 o'clock, I'm usually in about seven. Nine, 10 o'clock. It's just that bit warmer, the sun's a bit higher, and it is easier to get in at that point. So, it's where it fits in, it's like all these things, the diet that works, the one that you can keep keep up with. And it's this, the the swimming routine that works is the one that works for you. Now, what is it about
0: cold water swimming that makes us want to pee? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, that that's an effect uh, It's a sort of a kind of chain reaction. So, what happens is when we go into this cold water, all your blood vessels shut down or all the blood vessels to the skin. Rather, you know, what that wants to do is keep your that core nice and warm. So your heart, your lungs, everything else, your kidneys all work properly. And that causes more blood to be, you know, to be going around a smaller space at that point. And interestingly, you know, the mac, this is called vasoconstriction, this shutting down of blood vessels. And that happens maximally at 20 degrees, 68 Fahrenheit. So that's why that, I think, is such a significant temperature. But anyway, so what it does is it has an effect and it stretches the chambers of the heart because there's suddenly more fluid in there and that, and then the heart and the body then thinks, oh, I've got too much fluid in my body and therefore I need to get rid of some. And so it sends messages to the kidneys saying, you need to pee you need to send, send more fluid out
0: now does that keep us as warm as as i've read if you're wearing a wetsuit or is that is that a myth
1: uh, there's probably a bit of a myth <laughs> yeah. i mean this is the thing about water the reason water has such an effect is it has an amazing capacity to store heat you yeah, know much more yeah it's I think the 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 figure is something like 2,326 times colder than air because it stores so much heat. So if you do use it to warm up the inside of your wetsuit, well, yeah, you are going to be getting a good amount of warmth because it contains so much. But the volume that you're putting out there probably isn't quite enough to really keep you warm. I, I love that.
0: Now, on page uh, 85, you talk about how the first cold water swim is the most terrifying. The second swim is even worse. And then the third swim, uh, you'll enjoy and experience uh, some type of nirvana. Can you talk to me about that? How is the second swim worse than the first swim? And then how do we go from it going so bad to now we're in a blissful state on a
1: th- by the third swim. Well, I have my theories. I, I haven't got any science for this, but that first swim, you're all set up and ready to go. You know, you you people really anticipate it. You know, it's like, oh my god, I'm going to see oh, you know, and you're just so kind of in the zone, really. I'm going in, I'm gonna do it. And then you go in, and it is hard. There's no doubt about it. But at the end of that swim, you get out, it's euphoria yes i did it you know i can do this and then that second swim you go in and you don't have that and your body still isn't adapted and so you're still yeah you've neither got the anticipation nor the resilience yet to doing it and that's why it makes it the worst why it comes good on the third i don't know that's just what i've observed and you know i talk about two people in the book my own son and sarah who we did the uh, television program with but interestingly i've been asked by the scottish parliament to do a presentation there by one of the their members of parliament and he started swimming and he he read the book so he's kind of expecting it but he totally agreed he totally gets it That you know the second swim was definitely the worst and it's got better on the third. You know, at,
0: at, at, on some levels, it makes sense, because I think by the third one, you, your expectations are zero. Like, by the third one, you've kind of surrendered. The first one, you're excited. You don't know what to expect. The third one, you're like, oh, the first one sucked. This is going to be you. And then the third one, you're just like, all right, we're doing this. And uh, but, but you also mentioned in the book that it takes about six cold water sl- swims to fully acclimate to, to cold water swimming. And I've noticed that with even swimming in the pool, because some mornings it is quite cold. It's a, uh, it's a a outdoor uh, swimming pool. Um, And I've noticed that after I, I don't remember how many swims it was, but my body started to crave swimming. Like it's like, if I didn't swim, my my body's gonna yell at me. It was almost like if I didn't take my dogs for a walk that day, uh, they were just gonna tear up the, the the furniture there. Do you find that with yourself? Where now if you don't go swimming, uh, you're just kind of off for the day. I can't imagine you missing a swim, but um, sometimes scheduling doesn't permit.
1: Yeah, it doesn't permit. Doesn't at all. Yeah, uh, you know, and you know, I'm very lucky that I can do most of the time. And yeah, I miss it. Yeah, you know, I I really do. And if I sort of I broke my leg last year and, uh, yeah, so I was out for six weeks. The first thing I did when I was allowed back in was to, yeah, I could uh, put weight on my leg was to go, go for a swim in the sea. And boy, did it feel good. How did you break your leg? Uh, cycling. <laughs> but, but the
0: uh, one time you get out the pool and, and try to do something different.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was, I, was cycling. Do you know what? I was cycling on my way to work and on my way to work, I stopped and have a swim. So I had, all my, I have my swimming trunks on, so I ended up, yeah, because I have all my swimming trunks on ready. I'm just swimming in the lake on the way to my work. Well, where I work in Norway, and I was, I was on my way and in, in my trunks, all ready to go. Obviously, I put some shorts over them, but, yeah, uh, and yeah. So I was there in the ER in my swimming shorts. <laughs>
0: wow. Now, you know, one of the things you mentioned, and 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 I find that this is a kind of a recipe for life. Um, On page 96, you mentioned before you get in, know how you're going to get out because it's so much easier for us to get into a situation than it is to get out. And I learned this recently uh, kayaking with Michelle. We had went for the first time together in a tandem kayak and, you know, getting in a kayak and going out to sea was very easy. But the last like 10 meters coming back in to shore was the hardest because of the waves and we had to like kayak in a certain way and sure enough although we had been at you know out in the ocean for three hours no problem the last 10 meters from the from shore we tip over um so can you talk to us more about you know know how you're getting in but also how you're getting out and and what that means for you
1: well it means it means in many ways in fact to go on a bit of a tangent it it's a lot to do with anesthesiology yeah anyone yeah you i could teach you you don't even need to learn anything to give an anesthetic you have a syringe you give it to someone through a through an iv that's it getting out of anesthetic that is where the skill comes yeah that's why you have an anesthesiologist because it's not giving you too much it's not not taking it on too long not giving the wrong things and stuff like this so it's the getting out bit which is most important in my uh, daily job but with the swimming yeah it's so it's just so important it and this is one of the things that certainly one of uh, the guys i swim with who's uh, you know a super experienced swimmer he often says you know what he likes about it is david he's actually in the book with the arthritis so you read about him in the book and you know He says judging the waves, you know, before he's even got in the water, which gives him such a great benefit anyway, is judging those waves. That really gives him something, you know, takes his mind away. You're using your mind. It's a skill. You're developing a skill. And that's even before you have started. And so getting out and judging it and knowing when not to go in, you know, because as as you've obviously gathered, I'm quite addicted to this. And I want to go in. And if I've had a hard night or I haven't slept well or something I really want to get my swim and I get down to the beach and I look at those waves and I think do you know what I, I just can't do it it's just not safe to get out so it's a real skill to judge that and you yeah f- so for me it's it's a skill of looking at those waves of judging them but uh, other times it can be you know, you go to a river or a lake or something like that And they don't have ladders. It's not like a swimming pool. You haven't got a ladder to get out. You've got to find, either you put your own ladder in, which I mentioned in the book, you you can get a a special, yeah, saw off your own ladder so you can put it into the water and get out with that. But riverbanks just aren't the same for getting out. They're not not structured like that.
0: That, that, That's such a a great point. The, um, you know, it also uh, made me think about just, uh, you know, planning out the day in that, i I realize I'm very good at starting my day. Like I'm. I'm. Boom. 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 And then at the end of the day, it just all becomes undone. And and I realize I don't really plan the end of my day. So after this, after we get off here, I'm gonna figure out how I'm gonna end my. How am I. Gonna, how am I gonna get out of this day? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it doesn't end with like a food binge, or or you know just Netflixing uh, in the night. Um. On 102, you know, I think one of the the beautiful things you highlighted in the book, too, is um, how to warm up. Because I think a lot of people don't know how to warm up before they get into a cold water swim. They they may think, uh, you know, a sauna or taking a hot bath or something. But you talk about warming up from the inside out, not the outside in. What's the problem with warming up
1: from the outside in? The trouble with that is it confuses the body, basically. What you're getting when you're warming up from the inside out, uh, from the outside, if you sit in front of a heater or whatever, your skin gets really warm and your blood vessels dilate. And yet, the middle, that bit between the outside and the inside, is still cold. Now, you can also think of the skin and the muscles and all that. They're, They're kind of a storage heater. And if you warm them all the way through, then you're going to you know, you've got a lot in the storage heater, and that's what you can get with a sauna or something a really hardcore like that. But most of us don't have access to that all the time. What you want, if you warm from the inside out, your storage heater is just next to your core, and so it'll be protecting your core. So when that, when you all your blood vessels close down, you expose your skin to cold, then you've got a bit more time before that cold seeps into your body. But when you you're warm on the outside and your body's just it's just not prepared for cold, and some some of that cold will go in before the blood vessels shut down, and it also thought you were warm, so it was behaving as if you were warm and it was actually probably giving up heat rather than taking it in. So it's yeah, you know, it's warm and it's cold and then it's warm and yeah, you know, it's just a bit confused. So it shows that if you warm up from the inside out through exercise then you cool down slower than you would otherwise. And, but if you warm just from the outside and you're not all warmed all the way through, then you actually cool down quicker when you get into cold water. You
0: know, it almost sounds like the difference between microwaving your food and, and reheating it on the stovetop. Because I noticed when I microwave my food, it cools down so much quicker. It's almost like when you get the food from McDonald's. It, it gets cold so fast. But like when I reheat my food on the oven or on a stovetop or in the oven, it stays warmer a lot longer. And it even just, it just tastes and, and feels better. Um, so I'm going to uh, assume that, you know, that it, it, on some level, it's, it's working in the same way. Um, the, you know, what I practiced this morning, it's you shared in a book in that, you know, you want to stay in the water long enough for your breathing to come under conscious control you talk about that on page 108 and I used to time myself in my in my cold showers and for for three minutes but now I get out once I feel like my breathing is under control and I'm starting to approach my meditation the same way instead of timing myself tuning in to when my breathing uh, becomes under Control versus I have to sit here for five minutes or 10 minutes or, you know, what have you. Can you talk to us more about why it's important not to get out until our breathing is under control?
1: Well, if you wait until your breathing is under control, that means your body has taken on, because the adaptation is kind of a chronic thing. I suppose it's short term adaptation there. Your body has been through the stress and it's come out the other side it's adjusted when your breathing's under control your body has adjusted to this stress and what we want and what we get out of cold touring apart from the fun and all that kind of stuff and the cake and coffee afterwards is this adaptation is you know it's building our body up you know, it's like you go to the gym you work out your muscles you know and this is what you want yeah you know, it's no good just doing a couple of lifts you want to do it to the point where your your body has really taken taken everything in as has adapted to it and that's i think where you get with the the breathing you know and it's it's kind of again it's probably more of an analog way of doing it it's you're getting direct feedback from the body rather than just doing it for a time and also i think it gives you a different perspective because you're concentrating on your breathing you're concentrating on your body not on your watch and i think that's a good thing as well i mean it's probably a minor part in the scheme of things but it feels better and i think it's more organic i, I love that um you
0: know dr mark harper one you know when we were uh, corresponding back and forth and you know i was asking you to be on the podcast um thank you once again for being here uh you shared with me that um you know Part of your willingness to be on a podcast was a few years ago, your brother had ended his life. And uh, do you, would you, are you open to sharing um, in, in terms of, because when we talk about cold water swimming, we know that it helps reduce inflammation and, um, and we know that inflammation is linked to depression. Did your brother struggle with depression or any other uh, uh, mental health issues?
1: Uh, no, Joe, I don't think he did. You know, and I've heard some of, I've listened to some of your podcasts, uh, I think right back your very first one. And it was more that thing of just having a really bad time, he was just going through a really bad phase, not being able to talk to someone. And, you know, he did a lot of exercise. He was outside the whole time. He didn't do the cold water swimming thing. But his was, you know, just pressure from work. Pressure of a young family, you know, people putting him down. You know, I had a really hard time at work with, you know, who's retraining in his 50s to be a teacher. And, you know, it's hard enough at the best of times. And he's dyslexic. He was dyslexic. And so that can be a real struggle in that environment. So, and, you know, there was no help being given. It was just like criticism, as far as I understand it, coming from the uh, his tutor or mentor or whatever. So I think it was just total overwhelm of, you know, I'm a failure, you know, my family, you know, I'm just a yeah, my family'd be better off without me. That kind of thing. And I'm a failure. And I think that's that's where he came from, actually. It you
0: know it's so fascinating how um, on some levels, we actually have these resources or outlets to connect to, uh, to talk to, because I'm going to assume, Dr. Harper, that you, f- you felt like you would have been there to listen to him, to um, encourage him, uh, to, to remind him that, you know, he's not a failure, that he's not a burden and all those things. Um, it, but I also feel like, you know, as a man, you know, we're kind of brought up with this, like we got to figure it out ourselves and we got to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. Um, How do you, when you need help or someone to talk to, I know that you have your morning group, uh, your swim group that you connect with and bond with, but uh, do you have, do you have a therapist or do you have a mentor? Are there other people outside of your morning swim group that you reach out to uh, when you need to share or talk?
1: Uh, yeah, I do have a therapist. I go, so he's, you know, It's so nice to be able to talk about relationships and the struggles around it, which with someone who is schooled in it, I suppose, you know, who's a professional in it, but also comes across, who's friendly, comes across as your friend. And I find that really useful. So even though I've got, you know, really good social circle I mean, you know, and good strong ties, I think I've heard you talk about, Yeah, you know, you're an introvert. Is that right? Yeah. And you
0: know, like I'm, I'm geeking it. out over all the books behind you right now. I'm like, I want to read all of
1: those. <laughs> I, I'm staying at my dad's house at the moment. They're not all mine, but yeah. anyway. Uh, so, you know, even though I've got, you know, and I like those uh, those closer conversations rather than being in a big open group and all that kind of stuff. And I get that, but it's different when you've got someone that you can, you know, who's professionally trained, you can really talk about these issues on a different level. So that's uh, that's what I suppose I get. And, you know, I've got some, I suppose my other closest friends are the ones from when I used to swim in the pool when I was a kid. And, yeah, you know, we meet up regularly every three, four months, meeting them on uh, on Saturday, actually, and, you know, have dinner together and chat about life, university, everything. And, you know, it's just having that connection over 40, 50 years. I think Malcolm I've known, yeah, almost 50 years now. He was in my Cub Scout group when I was, uh, when I was eight or nine so that I find really helps but I, I want to say something about after my brother's funeral uh, and you, you talk about talking it uh talking about talking about things and not bottling it up so I was on the train getting the train back had to change in York I went into the toilets there and one of the charities I'll come back to that in a minute one of the charities that my sister-in-law had chosen to support you know so don't bring don't give flowers, just, you know, do this, give money to this charity called CALM, which is Campaign Against Living Miserably. And it's for guys, you know, it's aimed at guys. And it's just, yeah, absolutely what you're about, what this is all about. And you go into the toilet and the urinals there, there was a sign on the wall saying, bottling it up, 84% of men suppress their emotions. Bottling it up, let it all out. And this is right in front of you as you're trying to have a pee. <laughs> so, uh, you know, call this line, come and join us. And, you know, the irony of that being on the way back from my brother's funeral was <laughs> incredible.
0: It's so funny that, you know, as you were saying that as guys, you know, we bottle it up and then we go to the bottle to deal with the emotions that we're bottling it up. So it's not, you know, there's something ironic. Um, about that. But, you know, I, I'm glad you're sharing that part of your story because um, I think that a lot of people feel like their family and their friends should be enough of an outlet for them, uh, enough of a safe place for them to share. But you brought up, you know, something uh, important in that, you know, when we go to a therapist, this is um, somebody who has talk to a number of people who are undergoing your same issues and um can relate with you on a level and 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 bring some um you know experiential and science-based um ideas to your uh, situation so yeah i appreciate you you sharing that D- does your son uh, swim
1: well i've uh, so i've got three sons actually and uh, the first one I mentioned in the book, uh, the youngest, I mentioned the book because he was the one where I noticed it for the second time. So when we took Sarah for the television programme, yeah, it was after her second go, you know, she didn't want to do it, didn't want to carry on. And and it was, she finally, you know, obviously we put no pressure on and She said, okay, finally," said, I'll just do one more go. And then that was the change. I thought, well, it was just her. But then I noticed it in my youngest son. And then so that's him. So he swims a bit, he come ebbs and flows. And then so my middle son is 16 now. Last week, week before, I did a talk at his school. Now he's in this thing called as a phosculine. It's about research. So they're concentrating on people who want to do research. And so I did a talk about how I got into research and this, that, and the other. And we did a couple of experiments with cold water, and then we all went for a swim afterwards. And so you know, know, and showing them talking about the mental and physical effects of this and using it as a biology lesson and a physiology lesson and a lesson in research. And, you know, it's just fantastic. He loved it. He went straight in. He's been obviously wanted to go a couple of times before. So he's all set up when he went in with his mates. And so he started doing it. And then probably best of all is that my eldest son read my book he, he, I don't know if it's a compliment or not, but he said, uh, he said, you must have had a really good editor because this is elite level writing. I don't know <laughs> the concentration on the editor. I, I hope it just means that I gave him, Yeah, you know, I give full credit to my editors who've done a fantastic job. But anyway, it, he started swimming in the sea. Him and the mate now go swimming in cold water. Yeah. What better feedback can I have?
0: That, that's beautiful you know being a, a husband a father you you're now an author um and you also have a career um besides swimming besides talking to your therapist and you know i'm sure it's you uh and, and playing with your kids and interacting how do you how else do you deal with those moments of overwhelm when you feel like there's too much pressure do you you Uh, Do you do a social media fast? Are are there, do you you have a process or things in place to kind of mitigate those pressure moments?
1: I think, I mean, there's one of the things I I love doing and there's one particularly, I'm having one particularly hard time. uh, You know, uh, my wife had a really hard time after, uh, you know, when our second child was about a year old. You know, it was you know, real postpartum depression coming on later, and I actually ended up going. I uh, had a skiing holiday booked. Her parents came over and looked after her, and I went skiing. And oh my god, yeah, you know, the first couple of days I just wasn't quite there. And then, oh, the release I got from that. But again, that's cold, that's mountains, that's nature. But actually, on the, the data i can't do that every day and whatever but on a day-to-day basis what i do is two things one about every couple of weeks i'll go to the pub and have two pints and i'll sit and i'll read a book good old introvert pubbing and <laughs> read my book have literally just two pints and that you know there's something really relaxing there's something i find relaxing about the printed page and i love the taste of english beer and yeah you know, that's just that atmosphere is so nice and the other thing for me is listening to music yeah you know, like i said i've got an analog i've always had lps you know i had them you know when everyone was selling them off to buy cds i was buying them up for no money so i yeah you know, i developed a huge record collection over the uh, 80s and 90s when uh, when yeah, people were selling off their their old records and yeah that's it i just love to sit down with an album put it on listen to that music oh it makes uh such a difference maybe read the book at the same time i i
0: yeah i i've been listening to more uh classical music like some chill chopin or debussy um but i find at night sometimes i need more like old school hip-hop like i crave more nostalgic like music from my childhood at night. Um, and then I like to listen to more maybe current or classical uh, music during the day. So it, it's interesting to see how the the tastes change.
1: Uh, yeah. First thing in the morning, when I wake up in the morning, if I'm uh, listening to classical, I have to put, uh, there's Radio 3 we have here, BBC station. It's just classical, virtually no chat. Classical. Media. I love that first thing in the morning. Because you're saying... Different music works for different moods. Yeah, one of the things I love classic seventies disco. Yeah, I've got, a, well, I've got a great collection of twelve inches from the, from the era, and oh, you know that just that really lifts me when I'm listening to that. But other times, you know, something like the more melancholy stuff, yeah, you know, Radiohead or Pink Floyd or something like that, that can do it. And it really depends. Joni Mitchell's another one where there's just so much to it and it's not uplifting in the way that funk and disco are, but uh, it serves kind of the same purpose at a, it, for a different mood.
0: Yeah, yeah, the melancholy stuff, you know, Miles Davis kind of blew, I'm, I'm definitely uh, into the more melancholy music. Uh, Susan Cain just wrote a book called Bittersweet, which uh, is advocating for that, that mood of, uh, of melancholy. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Earlier, you talked about the breath work that you do after a swim. Can, can you take us through what that? Are you doing box breathing or four inhales out, eight in? What, what's your breath work look like? Uh,
1: well, I mean, you know what, this, is, this is just the simplest thing. So I've read, read the bestseller, the James Nestor's breath book. And yeah, what a fabulous, interesting book it is. And in that book, he recommends an app it's called uh, breathing or something you know I don't know it's, it's on my home screen <laughs> yeah and you know you play around with it for a bit you can do uh, four seconds in six seconds out you can do five and five so I settled on five and five really works for me I play around from time to time and I do six minutes of it sometimes I only have a couple of minutes so I'll just do two minutes of it but if I come in you know that works really nicely for me and it's it's just the simplest thing i still and as i'm breathing i just say i still think i'm, I'm not feeling any different you know i'm just breathing i don't feel any different uh, every time i get to the end of it it's like that's how i feel you know this is this is incredible yeah how such a simple thing is where it's like swimming it's just a simple thing it's how it can have such an effect on my mood Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, Is there a book that as we wrap up here, is there a book that you want your sons to read um, or that you, you would want to gift to them that you're like, Oh, wow. I wish I had read this book sooner.
1: That's a, that's a tricky one. I mean, there are loads that I would love to do. The one that immediately comes to mind if I'm talking about a book that has given me so much insight into human nature and how we live and how we behave it was Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast and slow. It, you know, you, you understa- understand your brain. In fact, he, he did an interview. It was actually on Norwegian TV. He did an interview, and the interviewer asked him, so you've done all this work, you know, and it's incredible. It's such good, such interesting work. And you've done all this work, and you know how the brain works. And does, has that made you any better? Does you know, Can you? Do you function so much better? No, but I know I'm not doing it. <laughs>
0: Oh, awareness is the first step right <laughs>
1: exactly and yeah all we can hope for is awareness and it gives such a great insight into into awareness i suppose the other one would be my eldest son is now reading uh war and peace by tolstoy so maybe that's the one oh, that's a very mindful uh yes. social book and aware well, book
0: that that'll be a, that book will keep discussions going for for a lifetime for sure um Dr. Mark Harper, is there anything from the book Chill, The Cold Water Swim Cure that we haven't discussed that you feel like the listeners need to know? Or or maybe, is there something you left out the book that you struggled with wanting to put in the book?
1: I think for for me, yeah, the book, I've got this whole thing, I've got this whole uh, document now of stuff that I haven't put in that I would like to have put in. But if I was going to, Put one thing across from this is what I said earlier is cold water swimming it's a toolbox it's beautifully packaged it's a whole load of tools in there and they're really useful tools and remember that you don't have to be in too long you don't have to be too cold and you don't have to do it too often just get out there once a week six weeks and you'll be hooked and just stay in until your breath comes under control You know, it's really simple. You can do the Wim Hof technique if you want, but yeah, this is, you can do it super simple like this. It's totally accessible. Just give it a go, give it six goes. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. But so many people come back and say, wow, this is amazing.
0: Thank you for those very easy, practical and applicable uh, steps. Not too long, not too often. And, and wait until your breath is, is under control. Um, last question, I ask this of all my guests, because I always imagine that there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Dr. Mark Harper?
1: Don't, <laughs> no, there's too much. Yeah, you know, that's it. it. For me, you know, life is such a freak accident. Yeah, it's so unlikely. We've got to make the most of it. We've got to absolutely make the most of it because how unlikely is our existence? How unlikely is our consciousness? Just let's enjoy it and take pleasure out of it and make the most of it.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Mark Harford. Thank you so much listeners for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling the 1-800-S-U-I-C-I-D-E or 1-800-273-TALKS or any of the international phone numbers that are listed, whether you live in Brighton or Norway or Germany or I I see I have new listeners out there in Iran or Iran. or I should know how to pronounce that Iran or Iran or Iran, Iran. Uh, but in the Middle East, uh, wherever you are in the world, there's a phone number for you uh, that you can call, you can chat, you can text. There are online groups. There's online help for you to seek out uh, in places where you can't call. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching. With yours truly, let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Dr. Mark Harper.
1: Well, thank you. It's been an absolute honor and delight being on here.